Well, are you excited about what God's doing in, in your life and everybody else's life? Yes. It's nice to know what God's doing in my life for me. It's nice to know that you know what God's doing in your life, but it is a blessing to know what God's doing in the lives of those around you. Because in, in those times, we're encouraged. In those times, we know what to pray about. In those times, we're, we're uplifted because we know that, that uh, we're not alone and that God is moving all over the place. And so uh, when I say moving all over the place, that sounds frantic and hectic, but that's not the way it is. He is always at work. And uh, I believe that a big part of Christianity is not just to watch the hand of God, but to glorify God when he does these things, to praise him for it, to thank him for it, to testify to his goodness. It's a huge part. You know, God has been good, but somebody's got to talk about it. Somebody's got to, somebody's got to tell the world how good he is. You know, we don't just sit back and be silent and say, well, thank you, Lord. We've got to, we've got to get to a place where we're confident saying, you know what, I've got something to share. I've got something that the world needs to hear. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. His faithfulness is everlasting. He never fails. Amen. So we've got a couple of young ones testifying today, and uh, we're going to give them an opportunity to just tell you what God's done in, your li- in their life. And I haven't heard it yet, so it's a mystery to me, so I'm going to be equally as excited. Uh, but Brooklyn and Brianna are going to come up and share what God's done in their life. How's that sound? Praise God. Come on up. Um, One day we were in the brick and my mom and... we, We wanted to get a bed, a bunk bed, and... We needed to use our faith. One day we were in the brick, and my mom and dad were looking for a washer and dryer. And me and Brooklyn, we went over to the bed section, and we seen the bunk bed that we liked, and we asked our mom and dad if we they could buy it for us. But they said that we had to use our faith and raise enough money for it. So we tithed, and we got almost enough money, and we kept on tithing. And at first we started out with $200, and then we got more and more. (laughs) And so every time we would tithe, we would put this scripture on our um, envelopes, and I forget what scripture it was. (laughs) And so (laughs) finally we got um, the money we needed, and it was $700, and so... Yeah, we, it was um, a really big faith project, and it taught us not to, like, just rely on our um, parents' faith to, like, do it ourselves. Yeah. Huh? That's really cool. You know, God cares about things like that. God cares about your bed. God cares about, you know, he cares about these things. And it's such a cool thing when you see young people that realize that you don't have to wait till you get old. I mean, come on. If you're a believer, you've got Jesus, right? They don't have Jesus Jr. They've got the real thing. 
And why not train our children to live as believers? We've got the scripture on the subject, right? And I'm thankful that they were able to trust God and, and be patient and uh, say, all right, what does the word of God say here? And, and they had a scripture. We don't know what it is, but we know it was powerful. <laughs> Teaching the children to stand on, uh, and trust God and stand on the world of God. And, you know, the world teaches you some, some, some good things about, you know, about saving money, about raising money. But, you know, they're missing something. And they often put the focus on the money, whereas these kids, the focus was on the Lord. The Lord cares about our bed. He cares about, yeah, he cares about, uh, he cares about the whole world. He's got a lot on his plate, but he is, he is, he is infinitive. He's, he's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He can do whatever he wants. He's so big that nothing is too small for our God and nothing is too big for our God. And so it's so cool to hear Brooklyn and Brianna say, you know what? We just, we're relying on our parents and our parents taught us to rely on God. That's huge. That's huge, and that'll follow them for the rest of their lives. So thank God. Thank you, girls, for sharing that. Brooklyn, pass it on to Brianna. I said thank you. And uh, I just, I love to hear that, and I'm excited and encouraged about your next project, Brooklyn, uh, because I believe that God stretches us every time, and it'll just be that much better and bigger. Um, Hey, who knows? We're never going to put limits on God, right? Praise God. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Philippians? We've been spending a good amount of time in Philippians over the past uh, few weeks, and there's a good reason for that. And I believe that there are some things uh, in this letter, like every letter in the book, that are going to are able to transform us and change us, not just inform us, but actually change us, actually renew us, actually revive us. I want us to be aware of the surrounding that we're in. I've told you this before, but you know, Peter, one of his first great messages after he received the Holy Spirit with the rest of the church, the former, the guy who was too ashamed to admit he was with Jesus, the guy who was hiding away while uh, Jesus was in the tomb, this is the same guy that once he's filled with the Holy Spirit, on the day of Pentecost, he gets up and he preaches a barn burner. He gets up and preaches it full out. He doesn't pull any punches, he just preaches. And when 3,000, 3,000 people come to believe and are added to their number, that's 3,000 people after a sermon preached in the city that killed Jesus, in the city that persecuted his disciples, in that city, 3,000 were born again from all over. Because it wasn't just Jerusalem people. There were people coming to the feast from all over the world. And so 3,000 people were born again. And one of the first things that Peter tells them, and it says he told them this in many different ways. Now, I know what that's like as a pastor. You know when you're making the same point in many different ways. You might not notice it, but sometimes the Lord is having us just drill something in, and we might preach it five, six different ways so that everybody gets it in, 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 in the way they need to get it, that God speaks through all of those ways. It says through many different ways and through many different things, he was telling them and he was urging them, be saved from this perverse generation, wicked and perverse generation. Be saved from this wicked and perverse generation. God didn't save them from that generation by rapturing them. 
and saying, okay, now you don't have to deal with people anymore. He didn't save them by saying, move away. Find a, find a place in the mountains where no one will bug you and hide out and start a little, start a little utopia. No, he left them in that city. He left them there in the midst of all these people. He left them there and he sent them out. He didn't say stay in the church. He said bring the church to them, bring the kingdom to them. And they did that. So what did it mean to be saved from this generation? It meant that they were surrounded by a culture which stood against God. They were surrounded by a culture which taught them to live one way and God was saying live another way. Be saved from this wicked and perverse. Do you know both wicked and perverse in our English language come from the same sort of root? It means to twist. You ever see, you see wicker furniture? You see a wick of a candle? The word wicked means twisted. Perverse means corrupted. So in both of those cases, it was something good that's been twisted, something that's been corrupted. And in our culture, we see that now very clearly, very plainly. Everything good that God has created, the enemy has also created a perversion of that good thing. Every good attitude that God created us to have towards things, he has perverted. And there's, there's something twisted about the way that the world teaches you to look at it. Everything from money to uh, sexual intimacy, to all these different uh, facets and, and things in our culture, all of the things that are, that, that, you know, all these things we look that are perverted and wicked, they're just a corruption of something that God originally intended for good. You see, Satan is not a creator. He can't create. He can only corrupt and pervert. He can only counterfeit. Not, he's not a creator. So, so when God designs us a certain way and he created us to, to be just, just in, his, in his presence to, to glorify him. He created you to have fullness of joy. And when he did all of these things, he showed us how to live like we were created to live. Who knows better how the creation is supposed to work than the one who created it, right? Who better to write the owner's manual than the one who built the thing? And God showed us how to live. And when we messed that up, he sent Jesus to show us in the flesh, this is how humanity's meant to work. Oh, thank God we said this before, but Jesus was the image of the invisible God. But at the same time, he was the image of what humanity was supposed to look like. Completely submitted to God, completely just delighting in him. And Jesus, the Bible said, had more joy. He said he was anointed with the oil of gladness above everybody else. So he did something right. And thank God, this is the life we've been called to. So when Peter says, be saved from this wicked and perverse generation, that, that, that urging, that command echoes to today. We look around, and if you're not careful, it's the boiling frog syndrome. You all have heard, I mean, if you've had grandparents at some point, if you've been around for any period of time, you've probably heard the, the saying that when you put a frog in boiling water, he'll jump right out. But if you put him in, uh, you know, relatively temperate water and slowly heat it up, he won't know eventually he's going to be boiling. He won't even know it because he'll adapt. Now, I want to tell you right now, I have not tested this experiment but I believe it to be true. When we're out in the culture and God sent you to be out in the culture, he wants you out there as salt and light, 
when you're out there, your compass can get pretty wonky. Your compass can go, you know, all over the place. I don't know if you've ever been hiking and uh, relying on a compass, and then every now and then uh, you're, you're using a compass, and somebody's got something magnetic that totally messes that thing up, and it, it kind of waves all over the place. It looks like it's, it's possessed by something. And sometimes you get out in the world, and you've got your compass, and you're pretty sure where north is, and then all of a sudden somebody tells you, oh, you've been told that's north by your church, but I'll tell you where north really is. Or there's, here's the more popular thing, there's no such thing as north. North is, north is just something we make up. We come back and we say, God, the only thing that's unchanging, culture changes, people change, civilizations rise and fall, and the only thing that's remained the same is you. You know, God's not just a God of the old. He's already in the future. So this is not just, well, you know, those Christians, they're holding to the old ways. He is the ancient of days, and yet he's everlasting to everlasting. And he's already been to the future, and you know what? The word still works. So as we follow this, we find out, we get our compass back out, we know where north really is. We find out that if, if anybody can be trusted, it's him. But we have to be aware that we are surrounded by attitudes, we're surrounded by paradigms, we're surrounded by thought patterns, we're surrounded by teaching that teaches us the opposite of what God teaches us. And so, you know what? God's not telling you, get out of there, run away, run to the hills and start a family. God's telling you, stay there, but set your mind on things above. Be grounded, be rooted and grounded in something. When you're rooted and grounded in something, when you're anchored in something, you can't be so easily moved. And Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> Verse 12 says, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, now you might say, I'm not perfect. But this could otherwise be translated as many of those are as are mature. Doesn't mean you've got everything right in your life because he just said a few verses earlier, I haven't reached perfection. I'm still pushing. But as many of us as, as, as are mature here, he says, as many as are perfect, as many have, have matured, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. Isn't that good news? That God will reveal to you. If you're, if you're off track, God can reveal that to you. Here's the scary part. He might use other people. It's quite likely, actually, because if you're off track, nobody go, very few people go off track for a long period of time and think that they're wrong the whole time. Most of the time, they, they, they convince themselves they're right. And so we got these blind spots in our life, and it takes one of these brothers or sisters, somebody in your life that says, hey, you're a little bit off. But God uses them, God uses his word, God uses his spirit, and he'll reveal it to you if you have a different attitude. In verse 16, 
It says, however, let us keep living by that same standard to which we've attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So it's good to have godly role models, right? He says this, for many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping. And I'm, I, I'm here to tell you that I don't believe the apostle Paul was lying to them for dramatic effect. I think if he said he was weeping, I think there were tears on the paper. He might not have been writing this himself. Most likely he was dictating this to somebody. But I believe if he said I'm weeping, he was weeping. Just the thought of these people, people that he loved, people that he cared for. It sounds like these aren't just people out in the world. It sounds like these might be people that know the truth and went the other way. He says, I tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. So they never were true believers. They never really believed. They might have played the game for a while. They might have heard the truth and rejected it, but either way, they've rejected Jesus. He says, for many walk of whom I often told you, now tell you even weeping, that they're enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite. In the literal Greek, it says, whose God is their belly. Now, you might say, my God's not my belly. I've got all these diets. I go to the gym. I don't, I don't eat all that junk food. But it's not talking just about your literal belly. It's talking about setting and making your God the things that you can immediately see, feel, touch. Making your God the things you might just really want. Making your God the same God that the world has. The world is just going after something that they feel they need, they feel they want, but they're not going after God. It says, in this case, your God, their God is their belly, their appetite. Who set their, whose glory is their shame, is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Whose glory is their shame is in their shame is an interesting statement. What it's saying there is, is that there's things they should be ashamed of, but they're celebrating them. Well, that sounds very familiar to me. There's a whole lot of things out there that we should we shouldn't be celebrating, but we are. You turn on the television, and that's abundantly clear. And I don't even have to start naming things. You could just think of things off the top of your head that are not right, but they're celebrated. Today. The most popular type of TV show as far as drama is concerned is a TV show that, that has, a, you know, that we're tired of perfect heroes. We're tired of good versus evil. What we're looking for now is what they call an anti-hero, somebody that is just unabashedly bad and, and proud of it. And we cheer for them as they do these bad things. And they're human too. Turn on HBO, Showtime. I'm not telling you to turn those things on, but you do. And you'll get straight up pornography at 10 o'clock at night and it'll be called drama. We know that's not right. I don't need to put these images in your head. I don't need to tell you everything. I don't need to give you all these examples. But I am telling you, we're all aware that the world is celebrating things we should not be celebrating. But the big problem and the root of it is that they have stopped worshiping God, as we talked about a couple weeks ago in Romans 1. They stop worshiping the creator, and they start looking for the created. They, stop worshiping, they start worshiping the created things instead of the one that's create, the creator of all things. And it's very easy to say, they, 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 and we all pat ourselves on the back, and we shake each other's hands and say, thank the Lord, I'm nothing like them. 
But then what would the point of God bringing us into this service be if all we did was talk about how everybody else got it wrong? If God brought you here, he wants to do something in your life. He wants to do something in my heart. And so we're going to just for, for a moment not spend the rest of the morning bashing the world. We're going to spend the rest of the morning edifying and building up the church and saying, hey, God, if there's any of that in me, I don't want it in me. It's very easy to let things, to let jobs, to let situations, to let people take the place of God in our life. There are things that are inherently fine and without any real, real evil or good. They're just stuff. And God has no problem with these things by their very, you know, by what they are. There's no real problem with them existing. There's no problem with you having them. The problem comes in when you elevate it to a God. You know, I'm reminded of the, uh, in the Old Testament when, uh, the Israelites were grumbling as they were going through the wilderness. They were grumbling against Moses. And they were grumbling against God. And in that part of the world, there were a whole bunch of poisonous snakes that would come out in the desert, that would come out at night, that would come out in the early morning. You know, they'd come out in the cool of the day. These are the, these, these snakes that were very poisonous. They were vipers. You wouldn't want to be around them. And during that whole time that they wandered through the wilderness, God had suppressed these snakes. He kept them back. They were not allowed to operate as they were created to operate because God kept them back. The people grumbled so much and they didn't want God's hand. They didn't want God's will. And they began to just grumble, grumble, grumble. And so they step out and say, God, we don't need you. So, all right. And all of a sudden, these snakes start coming out of the woodwork. And people get bit because these snakes are, you know, they've been missing out on some stuff. They're going back home. We've been having to keep our mouths shut while these people trample on our, our territory. And now we, we're going we're gonna to take our revenge. I don't know if that's what the snakes are thinking, but, you know, <laughs> my reptilian mind isn't, isn't what it used to be. So the snakes come out. They bite all these people. People are dying, and they cry out to Moses, Moses, intercede for us. The same guy they were wanting to kill a few days earlier, now we need you. Would you intercede for us? So Moses says, all right, I'll talk to the Lord. And he genuinely does intercede for them. And God's answer to that is, I want you to raise up a pole. I want you to raise up this brass pole, almost like a cross. And when you raise it, raise it up and, and fashion a serpent around that pole. And when you lift it up and everybody looks on it, they will be healed. Of course, we know, oh man, that had such symbolism to what Jesus was going to do. As the Bible said, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. It says Jesus became a curse for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There was such symbolism there as he lifted that. And, and as they looked on him, they were healed. I can't get into that right now, but it's a wonderful thing. So there's this brass statue. Apparently, somebody hung on to this thing. Thinking if we have another snake attack, <laughs> quick up. Here's what they did. They kept it around. You go through the Bible, and many, 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 many years later, they're already settled in the promised land. They've got, they've got civilization now. Many years later, 
you see a whole group of people that have started worshiping this thing. And the Hebrew word, and some of you know where I'm going, the Hebrew word for this thing was eloquent. They, they named it. This God of theirs, this new idol of theirs, they named it. Do you know what they named it? Translated into English, it was copper thing. And, and that's, that's such a beautiful name for an idol. Copper thing. But people started worshiping that thing. So God says, you need to destroy those things. You see, there was nothing wrong with that pole. God ordained it. But it was never meant to be worshiped. It was a symbol that God used one time and they start worshiping it. God said, all the silver and the gold are mine. He said, it's all mine. I created it. Why do you think God created mountains with gold in it, with diamonds in it? He created these things. They are not evil. And yet when people start worshiping these things, they're evil for them. Something's broken. In Romans 1, it says that, that they were, you know, God put his, his nature, his attributes, his, his invisible features. You could see them in the mountains. You could know that God created. You could see his fingerprints all over creation. He said, when people stopped giving him thanks and stopped honoring him, their hearts became dark and their thoughts became futile. And they started worshiping these things instead of the God that made them. Some of my ancestors worshipped and and put high value on things like trees. I mean, is there anything bad about a tree? According to Romans 1, God put his fingerprints on that tree to show us that he exists. It's actually good. You start worshipping the thing, that's when it's wrong. So here's the deal. God created your belly. God created you to to be filled when you're hungry. And yet you make your appetite, and he's not just talking about food. He's talking about all these things that people have have put things above God. And it says their appetite has become their God. Their end is destruction. Who set their minds on earthly things. And when we read that, I want you to think how difficult it is to not set your mind on earthly things. Because early things are all around you and there's that pressure on you. That's why you get up in the morning and go to work. At least that's why the world tells you you go to work. Because you need to feed your family. They need this, you need this, you need this. It's pretty easy for that to monopolize your life. Until you say, this is not my God. The job's not my God. The bank account's not my God. This house isn't my God. That vehicle's not my God. My kids aren't my God. I serve this God. And he supplies me with all of these things. I want us to go to what Jesus said. Actually, before we do that, turn to Colossians, and then we'll turn over to the Gospels. It's easy to, it's easy as Christians to see a ditch, get freaked out, and run all the way to the other ditch, right? It's easy to say, oh, a lot of people are falling in love with things, Solution, don't have things. That's not the solution that God gives. Now, certainly if you're addicted to something, it might be good to get it out of your house for a while, if not forever. So that comes from every, in every area of your life. If there's something you can't give away, now's the time to give it away. I know that sounds like a vicious cycle, but the only way you break it is to actually give it away. If there's something in your life you just can't let go of, 
time to let go of it because it has you. You don't have it. But in the book of Colossians, we find out, because remember, he says these people, they set their mind on earthly things. And I, I don't know if everybody realizes this, but you can set your mind on something. A lot of us think that our mind just goes where it wants to go. It just wanders where it wanders, and I can't really control it. Of course you can. You know, when you're stressed out and you're full of anxiety, you've got to take some control here. Begin to think on the things that are pure. Begin to, begin to speak and begin to praise God. Begin to thank Him. As you do that, there are some things that just have to bow their knee. Here's what He says in Colossians chapter 3. Therefore... If you have been raised up with Christ, so have you been raised up with Christ? He said earlier that we've been seated in heavenly places, right? And earlier in this very letter, he said you've been seated in heavenly places. It says if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. And I love that word, keep seeking. Keep seeking. It's not a one-time thing. You don't come to the altar and do it one time and it's done. I sought the things above, now I got them. Keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is, do the math, where he's raised you up and seated you with him, right? So if we're seeking the things above where Christ is, that's where we are as well. Set your mind on these things. It says where Christ is, is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind. What does it mean to set something? That's a deliberate act, right? If I threw this Bible across the room, I'm not setting it somewhere. It just land where it landed. But when I put it here, I set it down. He's telling you to set your mind. Choose to think about this. Choose to think about heavenly things. Choose. I mean, that doesn't mean that your head's in the clouds and you're just like, I wonder what it'll be like. Just wandering around because, because here's the problem. We've come to think of heavenly things as things that are just in our future. Someday when I die, that's heavenly things to me. But don't you know that heavenly things are a part of our everyday life? They should be. He's just, they keep seeking the things above. He's not talking about the pearly gates. He's talking about God's will in your life. As Jesus said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Keep seeking the things above. Not. So he tells you what to seek and he tells you what not to seek. Not the things that are on the earth. Why? You start thinking about the things on the earth, those become your gods, and the end of that kind of thinking is destruction. Who set their mind on earthly things, whose God is their belly, whose God is their appetite. And you know what? You can convince yourself of the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The literal language says you cannot serve God and mammon. Why is it important that we say it in, as, as the... The Greek says it because mammon's not a Greek word, right? So here's how I trans, my best idea of translating the Bible. I'm not an expert, but my best idea of how to translate the Bible is if the Bible's written in Greek and then you come across a word that they purposely left in the original language, that should stay in that language, right? So when Jesus says, a lot of times when Jesus says truly, truly, he's actually saying amen, amen. And that's a Hebrew word, but even in the Greek, they left the amen in. I think they should leave it in in the English as well. Because here, mammon is not, a, is not, a, another, um, it's not another noun for something, it's a name. 
It's wealth personified. It's, it's not just wealth, it's greed. It's the world's way of doing things. You see, God created the gold and the silver, didn't he? He created it. If he created it, it was, it was good. It's us that have messed it up. And the world's got a way of doing things, and the world has taught us that those are the things that matter more than anything else, and you end up serving it like a master. He says you can't serve God and mammon at the same time. Don't fool yourself. You can't serve God in your job at the same time. You can't serve God in the stock market. You can't serve God in sports at the same time. Is there anything wrong with sports? No, they're wonderful. But if they're consuming your life, that's a problem. They're consuming your kid's life. You need to think about that. Who you're training them to serve. What master you're training them to serve. These are things that God reveals to us in your own heart. He'll reveal it into your life, what you're serving and what should be serving you. But here he says in verse 25, for this reason I say to you. So when he poses that you cannot serve God and mammon, he's going to tell you how to get out of that. He says, for this reason, what reason? The reason that you can't serve both. He says, I'm going to tell you something. For that reason, I say to you, don't be worried about your life. And if Jesus said, don't be worried, that's a straight command from God. Do not be worried about your life. And some people think that if we're not worrying, we don't care. That if we're not worrying, we, we're, just, we're just being cruel or we're being lazy. But that's not what the scripture says. Don't be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food? Now, is food bad? You would die without it. But life is more than food. And the body more than clothing. Now, here's the question. Does God want you to walk around being an anorexic nudist? No. Well, God, I can't figure this out. If I'm not allowed to really spend a lot of time worrying about what I'm going to eat or what I'm going to, to wear, who's going to worry about it for me? Should I go hire somebody in the world and tell them to worry about it? No, here's his answer. He says, look at the birds of the air. Okay. Look at them. They don't sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? The answer is yes. Verse 27, and who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Who is taking care of the sparrows and the lilies? He is. Who created them a certain way. That doesn't mean the sparrows lying on his back, belly in the air in his nest going, God will take care of me. <laughs> God created the sparrow to know how to go get food. Created an ecosystem that works. And the sparrow is fed. And the lilies are beautiful. And his point is, you're worth more than, than that to God. And if God takes care of them, how much more will he take care of you? But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? Well, that's a big statement right there. Do you believe that? Will he 
not much more, well, I'm sorry, I'm going to read this right. Will he not much more clothe you? That's the question he's asking. Is God able to clothe you? And he says, much more. That's a powerful thought. Many of us think that that's none of God's business. That God's too busy, God's too big to worry about things like that. But he says, his concern is for you, and he will much more clothe you. You of little faith. So you might think you're being super responsible, but spending all your time thinking about things and how you're going to get them and how you're even going to earn them is little faith. Watch what he says. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? And these are just, he's not, this is not the exhaustive list. This is just representative of all the other things. He says this, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things. The Gentiles eagerly seek them. Another way you could translate that word is that they crave them. People in the world, this is their obsession. He says, the people out there, and when he talks about Gentiles, he's talking about people that don't have a covenant with God. Do you know what it means to have a covenant with God? Everything I have is yours, God. And he says, everything I have is yours. Your enemy is my enemy. See, a covenant with God that he will never break your his. And he says, Don't you know that the Gentiles crave these things? They eagerly seek it. They're obsessed with these things. For your heavenly father, look at that in the verse before 32. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Here's the thing. God is aware of your needs. He knows that you need all these things. And then he says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things all these things will be added to you what a powerful thought all the things that the gentiles are obsessed about all the things they spend all their life trying to get all the things they crave he says you seek the kingdom and all those things will be added to you You seek the kingdom. You make the kingdom your life's goal, and God will take care of all that other stuff. That's a powerful thought, and it changes our lives. Like I said, you could see a ditch and run to the other one. You could see the ditch of people that are obsessed with things, and you run to the other side and say, forget it all. I'll live like a monk. You could run to this side and say, oh, man, they've made a big mistake. They're they're not trusting God for anything. And you run to the other side, and and all you ever think about is, is, you know, that that next car, that next house. And God's got bigger things for you to pray about than those things. Those things are important. You need to pray about them. The Bible says that whatever you need, you bring to the Lord, right? If you need a house, talk to God about it. He will, he's got a house for you. He cares for you. But if that's monopolizing all your prayer time, you might be missing something. See, those things are good and God's got them for you. But seek his kingdom. Make his kingdom be your obsession. Paul said to Timothy, he said, he said, those that desire to be rich fall into all sorts of traps and snares. 
Then later he goes on and says, warn those who are rich. Warn them not to put their hope in the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies all things for you to enjoy. Do you see what he said there? He said, you desire to be rich. There are all sorts of traps that will be laid out for you. Why? You'll take the first job that's offered to you that's got six figures. You'll, you'll, you'll do, I mean, if somebody puts a little, I mean, all they need to do, if your obsession is being rich, then all the, the enemy needs to do is make a trap and put some dollar bills on top of it and you'll fall for it. But when you're seeking the kingdom, you don't compromise. You can't be bribed. You're not worried about it. You know that God's got these things. He says, warn those rich people not to put their hope in what's not certain, which is their bank account, which is their job. But then he goes on to say this, but on God, put your hope on him who will richly, and richly is not just adequate. Richly is beyond that. He says, who richly supplies all things for you to enjoy. It messes up people's theology that he uses the word enjoy there because enjoy doesn't sound very Christian. (laughs) Who richly supplies all things to the exact level of what you need and nothing more. But that's not what he says. He says who richly supplies all things for you to enjoy, which means your enjoyment is not offensive to God. (laughs) But God, I just hate. I, I really don't like... I really, 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 really don't like, I mean, I just, I just, I can't stand those Volkswagens. I just don't like them. Well, then that's the car you shall have so that you don't fall in love with it. (laughs) Thanks, dude. God told you to get the Volkswagen, get the Volkswagen. I'm telling you, he's not offended by your enjoyment. In fact, he enjoys your enjoyment. But your heart It's far too valuable to give away to such things. It's far too valuable to give away some metal and leather. It's far too valuable to give up for a little vacation. God wants you to have a vacation. But trust him. Seek him. In fact, don't even worry about those things. Don't let it monopolize your thoughts, your time, your prayer life. He said, bring your needs to him, right? James says, the book of James says that people are jealous of one another. And he says, you're jealous, you're upset because they've got something you don't have. And then he goes on and says, but you know why you don't have it? Because you never asked for it. Oops. So apparently it's all right to ask. Can't be your obsession. We seek the kingdom. Because my God is not my belly. My God is not my job. My God is not all of these things. My God is so much better than all those things. And if I had nothing, I'd still be rich because I have him. But he doesn't stop there. I want to remind you of what Abraham said. This is a great, great example of somebody that's just completely sold out to God. Here's somebody that's not going to fall into a trap because Abraham, God, the Bible says that God made Abraham exceedingly, and that's the word it uses, exceedingly rich in land and cattle and all these things. Here's the deal. Abraham could be trusted with it. Here's how we know that. If Abraham's goal was to get rich, he would never have left home where he had an inheritance. 
If Abraham's desire to be rich, he would have moved into the cities of the Canaanites. And the Bible says that he preferred to stay in the promised land and live in tents than live in fancy houses with sinners because he wanted to be where God put him. And when he, by the strength of God, helped deliver the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, just because his nephew Lot was there, he delivered them. This is before they got destroyed. And he helped them out, and his little band of misfits totally came and, 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 and rescued Lot and, and turned the battle and everything like that. And one of the kings said to him, he said, look at all this stuff we got here. All of these things. You get the first take of the spoils because we couldn't have done this without you. We were dead meat without you. So you take whatever you want, all of this. And the king was exalting himself because he was being generous to Abraham. And Abraham will owe me one. And Abraham says, I'm not even going to take a shoelace from you. What? I'm not even going to take a shoelace from you. Because here's what you'll say. You'll say that you made Abraham rich. Or Abram. At that point, it wasn't Abraham. He said, you'll say you made Abram rich. Somebody did make Abram rich, but it was God. Too many people, if your desire, if all you're thinking about, your desire is to get to that place where you got all the bling, you got all the stuff, you'll fall for traps. Daniel, God exalted him to a high level. And the king says, if you interpret my dream, if you actually you interpret, sorry, the writing on the wall, you interpret this for us, I will load you down with money. Daniel understands that I don't want to be owned by this guy. So Daniel says, keep your money. You can't buy the gift of God. Peter says the same thing to Simon. Simon says, give me that Holy Spirit. What do I need to pay you? And Peter says, how dare you think that you can buy something from God? How dare you think you could sell it? These men and women too were so convinced that God was able to take care of them, that he, is, he, he was worth far more than anything, like, anything else they could have, that they were unwilling to be bribed or bought. And I want to say this to you because this is very real to us. We believe and we pray for you. We pray that God would promote you as he promoted Joseph. But can I tell you something? I truly believe you may have to turn down some promotions. You seek the Lord. You don't just take it because it's a promotion that has more money. You seek the Lord. He can take care of me. Because when you start taking jobs because of the paycheck, that's your God. That's become your new God. Hope it does you well. Hope it looks good on your fireplace. We know that our God takes care of us. He says, I care much more for you. So his answer was, stop serving wealth and God at the same time. You can't serve two masters. And wealth and money and all these things were never meant to be your master. He says, don't make your belly your God because I can fill your belly. Make me your God. Man, I want people. I want to I have a church and, and, and growing. I want to have a group of people that are so sold out to Jesus. That you can't be bribed. 
You won't get scared when the, if the economy tanks. You won't be scared. If the oil business dried up in Lloyd, do you know what? We would still be standing because our God meets our needs. He's our source. It's not our job. It's not the economy. It's not all these things. And those trucks and those quads and those snowmobiles, they're not near as valuable as what God's got. And if you want those things, God's able to get you those things. But you talk to him about it and you seek what he wants for your life. He cares more for you than you care for yourself. Don't make these things your gods. Don't put more value on them. They're just stuff and they're going to go away. Here's what won't go away. The Bible says at the end of the day, we'll all stand before the judge. And it says that we'll stand there. In 1 Corinthians 3, it talks about this scene in heaven. Where we stand there and our works, we get to find out if they stood or if they burn up. It says if they stand, if they're still there, we get a reward. But if they burn up because they weren't built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, then we're standing there looking kind of dumb. Thank God. It says you, it says they themselves will be saved as though through fire. Thank God you're saved. You're in heaven, but there's nothing to show for your life. If you live, if you set your mind on earthly things, if that's what you're thinking about, if that's what you care about, that, those things go away. They burn up. They don't last. But if you set your mind on the unsinkable, unshakable, eternal kingdom of God, you've got something to show for your life. And God says, I know what you need. I know what you need. I know what you need. And I'm able to give you all these things. It's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God knows that you need all these things, he says. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Boy, if that could become so real to us. Too many of us <clears throat> either say, I don't think God cares enough. I need to look after myself. Or you say, I don't, think, I, I, I don't need anything. And if God wants to give it to me, I'm just, I'm just going to tell him no thank you so he can give it to somebody else. But I'm reminded of the Israelites as they left Egypt. I'll close with this story, so don't worry. I'm not going to go long. You already went long. <laughs> I'm reminded as God left Egypt. I mean, the Israelites left Egypt. God told them to do the most awkward, embarrassing thing they'd ever done. You see, they're just happy that they don't have to go serve those Egyptians anymore. They're not slaves anymore. God's letting them go free. Can you imagine? You never want to see those people again. I don't, I don't look at you again. I'm free. I'm free. Thank God Almighty, I'm free. I'm not going back to your house. I'm not doing your dishes. I'm not doing anything. Let me go. Let my people go. See you later. Goodbye. And then God tells Moses to tell them, go back to your Egyptian ex-masters, knock on their doors and say, give me all your gold. <laughs> Not just your gold, your silver. One of my, he gives them a whole list of things to ask for. One of my favorites is porpoise skin. <laughs> go ask them for all their porpoise skin. How much porpoise skin you got, huh? <laughs> I'm talking primo flipper here. Come on, <laughs> hand it over. All your porpoise skin, all your gold, all your silver, hand it over. How awkward would that be? Who, who in this room, I want you to raise your hand truthfully, who in this room would feel fine doing that? Anybody? All right, praise God. 
We got one. The rest of us will catch up to you. <laughs> After the slavery, right now, you know, yeah, you got some reparations coming here. Come on. They go, they collect. You know what they did? They obeyed God. Good, good move. They go, they bring, and it says they left Egypt. These, these slaves left Egypt laden down with gold and silver. Now, what good does all that stuff do you in the wilderness? Very little, right? Can't say, boy, I could use some water. Well, we got gold. Let's buy it from. Well, there's nobody to buy it from, so thanks for all the gold that we sweated and carried off. They might have thought it wasn't good for anything. But here's what they did. They just did what the Lord said. You know, they could have easily said, no, God, it's okay. We don't need it. No, 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 no. Give it to someone else. Lord, we're humble. We don't need that stuff. They did what the Lord said. So as they did, the time comes where the Lord says, we need a tabernacle. Take up an offering. Do you know what? These bracelets, these rings, all these things they had, they go, I finally get why we lugged it through the wilderness. I finally get why I had to knock on all these Egyptians' door getting stuff. It was for God. It was for his tabernacle. You see, if they had been too afraid to say yes to God and receive something from God, they wouldn't have had something to give when the time came. And as he said to Abraham, I have blessed you that you may be a blessing. You don't know when God's going to say, I mean, when God says, I want you to receive something, you don't know when he's going to say, I want you to give something. Just take it and say, Lord, what do you want me to do with it? Because the Bible says that he supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, which means everything in your life falls into one of those two categories. And you better know which one is which. Is this to give or is this for me? And you got to know he has both. He's got both. Some of it is bread. Some of it is for your belly. Some of it's for your kids. Some of it's for your vacation. But you also need to just be honest before the Lord and be humble before the Lord and say, what's it for? And he might say, hang on to it a bit. I got something coming up. We're going to build a tabernacle. And when that time comes, you should see what the Israelites did. When the time came, Moses said, stop. You've given too much. What a cool offering. Stop. That's too much. Nobody forced them. Soldiers weren't going behind them, poking them with spears. They gave out of their hearts to God. And they were blessed because of it. Jesus said, give. And when he said give, in the original language, it's a continuous thing. Give, 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 give. That's your life is giving. Give. And it shall be given, given, given to you. Pressed down. Shaken together. Now when you understand how they used to go to the market and take that outer garment and pull it up like a little purse if you had to carry something. You pull that up, you'd still have a garment underneath so you wouldn't be exposing yourself. You pull that up and you put stuff in there. And he says even when you press it down, even when you shake it together to get all the air out, it will still be running over. It says, press down, shaking together, running over. Men will pour it in your lap. He doesn't say angels. He says people. And I believe that. It's about time we believe the word of Jesus again. None of this stuff is worthy of our worship. None of it's worthy of our obsession. None of it's, none of it's worthy of our anxiety. Seek the kingdom.
Make the kingdom your goal in life. And I, tr- I believe if you're truly seeking the kingdom of God, you can be trusted with great things. Because that's what you care about. His glory, his fame, his renown. I want us to believe that he will much more clothe you than he clothes lilies. He's much more able to clothe you. He's able to take care of you. But you need to set your mind on things above. And when we're in a place like Lloyd Minster, let's be honest. Lloyd Minster is ruled by greed. But Jesus is Lord in this place. And Jesus will be Lord over Lloyd Minster. We're surrounded by people that give up, give up all. I mean, they, they don't even see their families. They don't have any relationship with people. They don't, have, they don't, they don't go, get to go to church. All of these things because it's, just, I mean, just take some more hours for the money. And it's become what's driven everybody is that, 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 that. But you know, when you make the Jesus the Lord of your life, everything comes into its proper place. And the things that were twisted become right again because they're in submission to the king. Let's seek the kingdom. Amen. Amen. Let's stand up together. Now, I want to do something here today. I want to pray with you. Because I I just find it interesting. I'm not the one that that, uh, um, organizes the testimonies. Natalie does a great job with that. I, I don't know ahead of time who's testifying about what. Well, it's so funny, and I don't want the pressure to be on you, but it's so funny every time somebody gets up and testifies how it somehow ties into what we're talking about. <laughs> I don't want you to see how God used two young girls to show us how much he cares for them. But they just said, we're, we're not going to rely on our parents, we're relying on God. Greed is a filthy habit. Money is a terrible master. It'll mistreat you. It's horrible. But you know what? It's a, it's a pretty good servant. If you get in charge, you say, Jesus is Lord over my life. He's Lord over my money. Then money is a tool that can be used to get his stuff done. And here's the thing I want to pray today. If there are some big things in your life that you're standing up against as far as finances, and things in your life that have been causing you to worry, have been causing you anxiety. I don't want you to feel guilty about that, but we're going to give it to the Lord today. So you need a breakthrough in that area. I want to pray with you because I believe my God is able to do all things. I believe he's bigger. I believe he's stronger, but we got to give it to him, right? We got to make him Lord. You make him Lord. You give him, you give him the checks. You give him signing authority. You tell him he's Lord. My money's not Lord over me. Jesus is Lord over me. Put it in its place and say, I'll set my mind not on earthly things. My God is not my belly, not my appetite. My God is greater than all these things. So if any of you are are fighting that battle right now and it's been taking your time, it's been taking your thoughts, you've you've been stressed about it, whether it be a job or a need, can we pray about it today and just leave it at the feet of Jesus and trust that he'll take care of it? Can we believe that? Let's do that today. So if there's anybody, come on up, and we're going to pray together, and we're going to watch God do the impossible, right? God can do the impossible. Come on, guys, get more, get more real than this. God can do the impossible, and he will do, and he is able to do it. <clears throat> and here's what we're going to do. 
We're going to believe his word. We're going to obey his word. We're going to stop trusting in ourselves and start trusting in the living God. Amen. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that, that, you know, that all the stuff you're going through is, well, you know, maybe that's just the way it's supposed to be. I'm going to tell you that situation is not my God. God, the, uh, Jehovah is my God. Is I'm not, I'm not ruled by circumstance. I'm not ruled by what's going on around me. We're ruled and we, we submit our lives to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is above all things. And today, here's what we're going to do. This is, a, this is the thing. We're going to make Jesus... If he really is the Lord, if he really is the master, if he's really the father, you may not have known this, but your debts became his debts. And he did not create you. The Bible says that the borrower is servant to the lender. He did not create you to live for the rest of your life just burdened down. And that's what's on your heart. That's what's on your mind. He wants you free to serve him, free to worship him. And it is true, the Bible says he gives all things. He richly supplies all things for you to enjoy. He's not against you enjoying some things in life. He created you to have full joy. But things will never satisfy you until you're satisfied only in him. And I need to say that again. Things will never satisfy you until you're fully satisfied in him. It's a drug that, you, that, that just makes you want more and more, and you're never filled. Until you're satisfied in Jesus, nothing will satisfy you. But I know I'm with some believers here that are seeking the kingdom of God. We stand in the presence of the living God who's able to do far more than we can ask or think. We serve a living God who's able to move mountains, who's able to shift everything that needs to be shifted. And we're going to leave this in the hands of Jesus today. And we're going to say, I refuse to spend the rest of my time worrying and full of anxiety. I'm going to do what the word says. I'm going to give. I'm going to trust. I'm going to make him the Lord. And when he's Lord, every knee bows. Thank you, Jesus. Let's lift our hands to God in the name of Jesus. Lord, we stand before you. Sons and daughters of the living God. You've made us priests and kings unto our God. And right now in the name of Jesus, we lift this up to you. And it's different for all of us, but we lift it up to you right now. And know that you care for us. You said to throw our cares, to transfer our burden onto you, for you care for us. And so right now we hold it up to Jesus and we say, Lord, you, I'm with God the Father, you are our Father and you care for us. So we release the care of this. We release the worry. We release the anxiety. And Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, I speak wisdom to these people. Wisdom that the world doesn't even know, but your divine wisdom. Your divine wisdom. We call you free in the name of Jesus. Free from worry, free from greed, free from debt. In Jesus' name, you're free in the name of Jesus. Some of you 
thank God. Some of us have settled for saying, well, we're out of debt. But some of you have been called to step further than that. And it's not just about not being in debt. It's about being in a position where you can do what God's called you to do. And some of you have got the vision, but you've got no way to do it. But as a brother, a beloved brother in Columba in the Philippines said to me one time, he's just in a small little village, and he said, if God gives the vision, he will also give the provision. And I believe that today. That if God's put it on your heart, he can make it happen. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. So, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I stand with my brothers and my sisters, and I hold out my faith. I hold out my, my heart to them. And we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would do the impossible, that you would break the things that need to be broken, that you'd break through the things even in our own minds and hearts, that we would truly trust you, and that we'd step out of the boat in faith, knowing that we can walk on water as long as you are there our money is yours our kids are yours our job is yours lord if you want us to stay in this job tell us that if you want us to leave the job and go something else tell us that but we will listen to your voice and a stranger's voice we will not follow i speak against that worry and that anxiety that so plagued you that stress that beats up on relationships and, and, and takes your rest from you, that in the name of Jesus you would have perfect peace as you transfer the burden onto the Lord. You have perfect peace that passes all understanding. And in the name of Jesus, we believe, we believe that this is, this is the last time we worry about it. We give it to you, Jesus. You're the God of the breakthrough, and we need that breakthrough right now. So we'll do what your word says. We'll trust what you've said. And in every area, I'm thankful, Lord, that my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Cast your burdens upon the Lord, for he cares for you. What a great God. I want you to know you're more valuable than the sparrows. You're more valuable than the lilies. Some of you think you don't matter, but you do matter. And if God did it in the Old Testament, how much more in the New? If God did it in the New Testament, how much more will he do it for you, who's also his son, his daughter? We've been loved by a great love. We've been called by a great call. We've been blessed by a great father. You've been adopted. Now we receive the spirit of adoption, which cries out, Abba, Father. And when you're adopted, you no longer care. How am I going to? You don't think like an orphan anymore. You don't think, how am I going to feed myself? You don't think, where am I going to sleep? When you get adopted into this big family whose father is richer than all the other fathers in the world, when you get adopted in that family, you no longer worry, what am I going to eat? How, where am I going to stay? What am I going to wear? For you know that you have a father in heaven. And our spirit cries out, Abba, Father, I am a child of God. Bless them, Lord, in Jesus' name. I pray that the, the same blessing of Abraham would be on them. The blessing of Deuteronomy 28, that they would blessed, be blessed when they come in, they'd be blessed when they go out, that they'd realize that the, blessing, the hand of the Lord on their life is strong and that everything they set their hand to in your will that you put them, their hand to, everything they set their hand to will prosper in Jesus' name. Amen.
thank God. So we thank you, Lord. Begin to thank God. We thank you, Lord. You are worthy. You're able. You're able to do exactly what you said you'd do. You're bigger. You're stronger. My God is not my belly. I'm not going to set my mind on earthly things. I set my mind on the things above. I seek the kingdom. And everything I need is added to me. Everything the world is seeking and craving and, and fighting for, everything they're obsessed with, it's added to me when I don't even have to think about it. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's be obedient to the will of the Lord. Radical faith requires radical action. I think often breaking out of old patterns and breaking out of strongholds in our life requires us to do things we didn't do before. If you're asking God to change your life, it may change your life. <laughs> you're asking God, change my circumstance. Don't you think he might tell you to do something that you've never done before? He might tell you to go up, he might tell you to go up to somebody and put money in their hand and you go, I don't have money to give them. I just went up because of that. That's why I got prayer because I don't have, I need something. Let me tell you, go go find that person and go put money in their hands. Go, go pay for that person's groceries. Go do this. And whatever he does, let me tell you, do what he says. Do what he says. Like Mary, like Mary, Jesus' mother, said to the servants, whatever he tells you, do what he says. It worked out well for them, didn't it? Amen. Bless the Lord. <laughs>